do something different today. I'm, I'm an expositor. I like going through the text verse by verse by verse. We're going to pause that, um, what we normally do on Sunday. And this week, I just want to talk to us about a profile of a healthy church. As we think about 2024 and going forward, I just want to present um, some thoughts about what it looks like to be a healthy church. I have a long and extensive experience with church. Uh, from birth, I have been in a local church, with the exception of a season. When I was about 14 or so, my parents stopped going for a while to church, and I couldn't drive, so I didn't go to church. But the moment I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday, I was out the door on Sunday morning and one or two times a week for youth group or hanging out expressly with my Christian friends, I was really hungry for fellowship. But I also wanted to understand the Bible. And I hadn't really been able to up until that point. I had tried to read the Bible when I was 14, 15, and it just, I just couldn't, it, it wasn't, yeah, I just couldn't grasp it, right? I was so hungry for fellowship. Um, there was something that I couldn't articulate that was driving me forward. So my experience in church began, prior to that, began in the um, United Methodist Church as a child. I was singing in the choir uh, and, 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 and the handbell choir, too. I, I've already told you about the, yeah, I'm the biggest kid, so I get the big bells, you know, which means I get to, like, sound it once at the end of the song, you know, it's the end, boom, hey. Hey, Mom, I did it, you know. Um, so that denomination <laughs> that, I, that I was a part of there have become something, has become something other than Christian now, and they do not honor the Word of God at all. Uh, but it was a church that my mom's parents had long attended, so it became the place I grew up till I was about eight, and we moved. Uh, later on, after we moved, we ended up in a Southern Baptist church, so from United Methodist to Southern Baptist and uh, it was a shouting hallelujah church, raise your hands and praise church. And it was really familiar to my dad's upbringing, but my mom took a lot of convincing. And that church taught the word, even if it was just a little bit on the legalistic side. Um, I have visited many churches from one end of the spectrum to the other end, uh, from the turn or burn, same salvation message every week churches, to shivering with the frozen chosen. I have been to powerful worship services where the Spirit of God was palpable and touched my heart deeply and was working in the, in the lives of the people who were there for that, that event. And I've been in crusades and worship services where I got up and walked out in disgust at the dishonoring of our Lord. I, I've seen almost every into the spectrum. There's not much in the church that I haven't seen that I haven't been exposed to, but there's a great deal in the church world that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, his finished work on the cross, or his ongoing work in the world today. And in all of that, I want you to know right out of the gate this morning, as we talk about this, um, is to get you to fully, this, this sermon is, is shaped, formed, crafted. Well, I won't say crafted. I'm not that good. Um, it, I, I want you to engage, fully commit yourself to Emmaus Road Church if you haven't already. That's my, that's my desire for you this morning, that we would be consistently serving one another in that context. 
And, and, and many, in the cho- many in the church are just frozen by fear. I understand that. But I want to encourage you not to let timidity get in your way. And just for the sake of delineating that, timidity is the worry that any given action or speech or fill in the blank is going to offend somebody or cause everything to fall apart. That's our culture. That doesn't have a place here in the church. It is impossible to develop a vibrant community of faith while simultaneously living in constant fear of offending someone. So instead, we're called to develop people practically, theologically, and in love, and to make mature disciples of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So anytime we have a conversation about church, we need to make sure that we're delineating between the church universal and the local church, okay? So the church, Catholic, and now i got to stop and define that word. The word Catholic means universal. So when we talk about the church Catholic, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I know, that's kind of, maybe that's brand new to you, okay? Um, the church Catholic, the church universal, is comprised of all Christians in all eras, in all places, okay? Tracking with that? The Roman Catholic Church is a totally different animal, though it claims to be the one true church of Jesus Christ. Obviously, the claim is false, for the Roman Catholic Church embraces and enforces doctrines and dogmas that are contrary to God's revealed word. But the local church, rightly dividing the word, leading people into true righteousness, is an expression of the church universal. That's precisely what Emmaus Road Church is. We're one expression of that reality in a local context. And in our community of Stanwood and Camino Island, there are several really good, godly, biblical local churches. And I know the pastors, and I could recommend them to you. And there are some that are highly questionable at best. We've got the spectrum right here in little old Stanwood. But this morning, we're, this morning, we're focusing on the local church and the role to which it's called. And so you need to know that it's something that's highly valued and important in God's economy. So before we go any further, we need to ask this question. Why is it important for individuals and families to be committed in a local church context? Why local church? I love the explanation that a well-known pastor gave not too long ago as to why the local church is so important in God's economy. Someone had posed the question, isn't it enough that individuals come to faith and that now that that person has a personal relationship to God? And the answer was really simple. You can't see God. You can't touch God. And as humans who rely on our five senses for almost everything, It's challenging to have a relationship with someone that you can't see, touch, smell, right? But the expression of the church universal in and through a local church body puts skin on that which otherwise would not and could not be seen. It's like the superhero show, The Invisible Man. Well, so when somebody wanted to see The Invisible Man, what would they do? They'd pour paint on him or they would throw dust and dirt on him. And in that context, you could begin to see the shape, track his movements. And that's what the local church does for the church universal. It's a manifestation of the whole that's visible to those in any given location. 
It's, the local church is God with skin on, okay? Let's just go with that. And you and I are the skin that everybody else sees. Why? So, so, then, so then why local church membership? And this is my big push this morning, okay? Someone will inevitably ask, is church membership biblical? And I believe the answer is yes. There can be no accountability without church membership. Without some formalized version of membership in a local church, there's no way to hold anyone accountable. And when I speak of accountability, I don't mean it in the negative sense when correction or rebuke are needed. I mean it in the positive way as well when we ought to celebrate the good that someone has done or give praise to someone's service within the body of Christ. We need both of those, right? It's, it's um, oh, let's see. If there's no formal membership, it's difficult to hold anybody accountable. Church becomes herding cats. You ever have cats? Some of you have multiple cats. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Cats don't come when you call them, Right? They're not like dogs. It's like herding cats. And in all candor, many churches operate that way. But the truth is, if we let our offenses drive us out of the church, especially when we don't take time to deal with a situation, we're no better than the pagan culture around us with their cancel culture. So we need the, that local church membership. We, we see that it's biblical, which leads us to a second question. Okay, so that it's biblical, but is it necessary well, if it's biblical, having been established in the pages of Scripture, and the Scripture admonishes the reader to be engaged with the local church, which they do, then the answer to whether the local church membership is necessary is a solid yes. It's a solid yes. Now, somebody's going to dig their heels in. They're gonna, you're going to find me after church, and you're going to come to me and talk to me about this, and that's fine. Um, and maybe I just went, I just did a run around, and you're not going to now because I said that, but that's great too. Um, <clears throat> somebody will dig their heels in and say, but that's not biblical. They'll generally concede that it is necessary. Membership is not, they'll say membership's not biblical, but it is necessary. But you can't, you, you can't say membership is necessary, but not biblical. You can't do that. That doesn't work. So, so then given that the local church is a visible expression of Jesus's body and his bride here on the earth, Membership is of great importance. Therefore, we need to take some time to explore what it is that members of Christ's church are called to. So right out of the box this morning, you need to know lo local church members, and, and, and not everybody here is a member, local church members serve. Serve. A particular credit card company made its catchphrase, membership has its Privileges, yeah, you guys know the commercial. It would be a colossal mistake to adopt and think that kind of theology in the local church because this isn't about privilege. Now, we have privileges that are purchased for us by Christ Jesus that are coming to us and that we're going to enjoy. But it would be a colossal mistake to adopt the thinking of the world around us when it comes to this in the local expression of Christ's church, it's true that we do have privileges, but these extend directly from Jesus to us, and they involve things like the Spirit who dwells in us as a deposit on our inheritance, or having a prayer hotline um, 
we have the spirit. It's having a prayer hotline directly to Jesus for 24 hours a day, day or night. We have the fellowship of the saints. That's, that's a big deal. We haven't even scratched the surface on his generosity towards us. It's interesting to me. There's so many books on leadership in the, in the Christian bubble, and there are almost none on servanthood. I looked. I tried to find. There's, there's maybe two or three out of all the books I found. We need to remember that God doesn't save us to sit and soak and never lift a finger. We're called to serve. He saved us to become holy as he is holy. And one of the most effective ways that you practically work out your holiness is serving other people. And so we need to ask the question, what did Jesus have to say about serving others? Well, immediately this, this passage came to my mind this week, Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They just boss them around is what Jesus says. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you, what? Must be a servant. Must serve others. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus' kingdom is inverted from the kingdoms of this world. He doesn't value wealth, status, and knowledge for its own sake. He values service and sacrifice and dying to yourself so that you might truly live. And so let's see what the scriptures have to say about serving. I'll give you just a few. We could go on and on for hours here. The Bible is filled with admonition about serving others. I'll just give you a few. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm great about the hospitality. Not so great about the not grumbling. When are they leaving? As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks through oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's, here's Paul to the Galatians, the church of Galatia. He says this in chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, die, if you bite and devour each other, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Now, did you catch that? Freedom to. Freedom to what? Serve. <laughs> Second Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Paul writes to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think, think about what I'm saying to you, Paul says. Think about what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So whatever we receive, 
we've been given so that we would give. We would pass that on. So the pastors and the elders of Emmaus, we strive to do that and model that for you. And then the reasonable expectation is that we expect you to model it for new people coming into the church or coming to Christ for the first time or your family at home. And, 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 and do you remember what Jesus said about service? In Mark 10, 43, whoever wants to be great must serve, right? Each one of you are gifted. You have spiritual gifts. And maybe you don't know what those gifts are, but you need to, you need to find out. I, I can help you with that. But you need to figure out what your gifts are so that you can serve one another. That you're gifted in some capacity and God expects you to serve. In Galatians 5, God tells us that he's given each one of us freedom to serve others in the body, not to serve ourselves as a first priority. In Philippians 2, Paul reminds us to have an attitude that's like Christ Jesus's attitude. And he didn't, he didn't presume to, to sit around and wait on somebody to serve him. He served his disciples. He served other people. So instead of serving others because, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to your motive in serving, don't serve to, to get something in return, but serve because you know that you've received the Spirit from Jesus and that you have every good thing in Christ Jesus as a result. So members serve, members give. The Bible directly mentions money over 800 times. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's a lot. 800 times. It makes over 2,000 references to finances or money or wealth. And the Bible also warns us against the love of money and all that is in this world. And he does that because he knows our fleshly inclination is to put our hope and security in wealth rather than in the kingdom that is coming. He, he, he loves us. He doesn't want us to stumble in this. Why is wealth such an important topic to God? Well, the answer is really simple. It's really simple. It's because money, and especially the love of money, are areas of our lives that will completely sideline our walk with Jesus if we're not careful. Completely take us out of the game. Um, at the same time, God's given us wealth. We need to ask, for what purpose? And if God's given you wealth, you need to ask that question. Why, Lord? Why did you bless me with wealth? For what purpose? Is it to build up our personal empires? Is it to live our best life now? If you caught that reference, good for you. Um, money is a, God, God gave us money as a tool. He wants us to learn to manage it and not let it gain control over us. Money is a medium of exchange. It's a necessary thing. And how we steward money reflects our values. Look at where your money goes. You're spending, you're giving you're going to see exactly what your priorities are. And I find that all people are generous with their money and resources. All are generous. That is to say, people are either generous towards the Lord and others, or they're generous towards themselves. But all of us are generous. We're all generous with our money. So money speaks to us about insecurity. It's something that we can worship if we're not careful. It can become an idol that ensnares us and, and, and drags us away from the will of God. The prevailing message of the Bible concerning money is that God wants us to be generous. And this is because he is generous and he wants us to be like him. And he wants to relegate money to its proper place in our lives. 
So generosity removes money and wealth from the throne of our hearts and relegates it to its proper place. So, so Jesus would even go so far as to say is you can't worship money and God, right? So, so avoid the conflict altogether. He calls us as his children to be generous, and God is generous. He just think of his generosity to you throughout your life. Instead, of, think about this. I, I just had this, man, I was, I was reading, I don't even remember the book I was reading this week, and, and this guy just delineated, I, I'll just quote it to you. He said, um, instead of a monochromatic world, God has given us every color of the rainbow. Instead of nutrients coming through some tube and tasteless paste or fluid, we have hundreds of flavors of savory foods and textures that we get to eat by which we're nourished. Think about all the variation of trees and plants and vegetables and flowers and grasses that we see and touch and smell in nature. Take a moment to visualize the incredible variety of animals and birds and fish in the world. Consider the changing of the seasons and the vibrant colors, the creativity of sunsets, the beauty of oceans, the majesties of the mountains, and the warmth of the sun on your face. That's just a little tiny bit of the goodness of God to us. And on and on and on, and God is incredibly generous to us. And as Christ followers, we know and we believe and embrace this reality that God has given us the single most valuable thing in his possession ever. He's given us his one and only son who lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and rose again from the dead so that we could be reconciled to God. And God wants us to see and understand his heart of generosity that's birthed out of a heart of love. But for us, that doesn't come naturally. We're born under the curse because of the fall in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world. And so our natural impulse in the flesh is not to be like the God who made us, but to grasp things tightly, to covet and hoard and cultivate selfishness, which is all born out of fear and insecurity. We have to shift our mindset away from ownership, that mentality, when it comes into our lives and our possessions. And instead, we have to embrace a stewardship mentality. Because being created in God's image, we've been given a stewardship over creation. You've been given a stewardship over your families, moms, dads. You've been given that stewardship. Resources. You've been entrusted with the management of things while under the authority of our great God. And the enemies lie to us in the church, in the local church, and in the family. He, he will lie to you and he, will, and he will say, if you are generous, you won't have enough for you. And it's a lie. That's all he does is lie. Don't believe it. We think our standard of what we have is the right standard. Enough time and money for me according to my measure. We, need to, we, we, we all need a Jesus take the wheel moment. <laughs> Cletus, take the wheel. We, we need Jesus to step in. And we need to relinquish control of our wealth and resources to him. Because you can have a tight-fisted control over money and resources, or you can have the nearness of Jesus and his spirit. And that, that's the reality. That's, that's a dichotomy. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both. True spiritual freedom via the gospel of Jesus Christ must and will always lead to practical material transformation. The same gospel that sets us free from sin and death also frees us to be generous and to radically sacrifice for God's kingdom purposes. So just like Abraham, 
when God, when God blesses us, his intention and design is that we would then in turn be a blessing to others, not just keep it for ourselves. So, so much of our lives are spent grasping for what we consider sources of security, but it's all an illusion. Jesus is our security. God, God's promise is our security. True security is only found in Jesus and obedience to him. And as as members of the local church are generously serving and giving, God causes us to grow. So, so we've said members serve, members give, members grow. Because healthy things grow and reproduce. And that's the way God designed it. Sometimes that growth happens really fast and in bursts. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's a process. You know, we've been here, we've, we've been in church for about eight years now. I love seeing your faces. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to see more faces. I'd love for us to grow. Sometimes growth is rapid. You know, both scenarios have good and bad aspects. But at the end of the day, God's the one who's moving behind the scenes. He has a timetable. He has a pace. He knows what he's doing. I, I'm not always clued in to what he's doing precisely. And sometimes my timetable is a little faster than his timetable. And I just don't know what the problem is. Come on, Lord, let's go, let's go. And I'll just add a personal note. I, I would love for our fellowship to grow in size such that it would allow us to acquire a permanent facility. But that's predicated on our growth as individual followers of Christ. And it's predicated on our growth as a body, both in size and in generosity. These aren't things that we can manipulate. God cannot be manipulated. He wants faithfulness in his church and he wants that for every individual in his church. And when that happens and we're fully yielded to him, he will provide for us what we need in due season. I believe that. I believe that. I don't like waiting on it, but I'm committed to pray. And I hope you'll pray too. So growth is happening in us before it's happening to us. Or to put it another way, we strive to be good stewards of what the Lord's already given us so that we can be trusted with more of his resources. That's not a leverage point to put God over a barrel. That's the way he set it up, okay? To him who's faithful with little, what? More can be trusted. So if you're a regular attender but not a member of Emmaus Road, I want to, I want to challenge you on that point this morning. God doesn't want half-hearted people in the kingdom. He wants wholehearted people. He wants your whole heart. That means we need to commit ourselves to being wholehearted when it comes to Emmaus Road as a manifestation of the bride of Christ. Get in the word daily. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group and have fellowship and accountability. Or, or maybe you choose to make heritage your priority on Mondays and participate with your brothers and sisters in that capacity, but engage in the body of Christ. So members serve, members grow, members give, Members reproduce. Members reproduce. Encouraging the body ought to be something that you think about often and especially on Sunday. Nothing of your life and accumulation, neither your possessions nor your money, will go with you into the presence of God when you die or are raptured. None of it. What will be waiting for you there is your love and investment in people that was made here. That's what's waiting for us. And, and, and to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in saying that, my hope is that maybe that shocks you and shakes you to your core. 
Maybe you already knew that. Maybe you, you hadn't considered it for a while, but if you're a member of Emmaus Road Church, you need to be investing yourself in the church body. In addition to encouraging those around you in our church, you should take the opportunity to invite others to come worship with you. Maybe they don't have a, ch a church home. Maybe they've never stepped foot in a church. Maybe they think we're a cult. Let's have a little fun with that. <laughs> invite them, sit with them, bring them, share a meal with them, talk about the experience. It's not, it's not beyond our scope. Members reproduced by sharing the gospel and serving our community. I want, I want you to know we do a great job of that in the summertime when the city and local businesses are out and, and we can participate with them. I don't know that we do such a great job with that the other eight or nine months, but I do know that some of you are relentless with your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones when it comes to talking about Jesus. Thank you for being bold. Thank you. Those of you who are sharing the gospel, thank you for being bold. To the rest of us, we need to follow your example while we still have the time and opportunity. I think there's so much more to be done. Will you join us in the labor? The fields are wide unto harvest. And formal membership is a form of protection and accountability. There's accountability for living, one's testimony of how they came, became a believer and how God's working in their lives and growing them towards Christ-likeness. And there's accountability for the other, other things in the church, like, like generosity, the four T's, your time, your talent, your treasure, your touch. That accountability is an important part of God's economy in the local church. Membership has its benefits. Formal membership is supporting your local pastors and staff who are called to serve you in this capacity. Our pastors and elders are here to, to care for your souls. We're committed to making sure that you receive sound biblical teaching. And we want everybody else here at Emmaus Road to have the same love and accountability. That's, that's the goal. Without it, the local church falls apart. If we don't have that accountability, if we don't have love for one another, there's no reason for us to meet. We, we must submit ourselves to God and to those who have play, he's placed over as stewards in the church. So formal membership means every believer needs to find an avenue of personal service. How, how are you going to serve the body of Christ? Passively receiving the benefits of the local church without any service, effort, or care for others is sinful and selfish. It means that a person is actually a consumer of religious goods and services only and does not contribute to the body of Christ. Membership is something you do, not something you have. It's a heart commitment to a local expression of Christ's body and bride that links you and your family in fellowship with other born-again believers. Membership has its advantages? Well, no, yes, so, sort of. Membership is not about gaining advantage. Membership comes with responsibilities and blessings. It includes community. You can count on accountability. We strive to provide orthodoxy, right doctrine. And we'll consistently encourage orthopraxy, which is right praxis. All of this leads to healthy churches. As we send more people out and plant more churches in the Pacific Northwest and around the world, I want you to know, I don't want this to end with Emmaus Road. I want to plant another church. I want to send a church planter out of this church with many of you going with them to start another church at some point. And, and more beyond that, you need to start thinking about that, praying about that. 
So as we come to the end of the sermon, I'm reminded of a short song that was very popular in the 80s and 90s in the church, and it was sung to death, because that's what we do in the church. We sing it to death. But it's appropriate for our time this morning. And the lyrics are these. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Dare we sing it? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Come on, you know it. Pure and holy, tried and true. Okay, the three of you sing loud. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Let's take some time and pray right now. I'm going to give you three prayer points. Let's just start. Lord, we, we come to you right now asking you for a future facility and your provision of resources for that purchase right where you are, just pray. Pray for that for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for your provision. You're outside of time. You already see the finished product. You know exactly where we're going to be in six months, a year, two years, until you come for us. Thank you for your provision, Lord. Now we want to pray for purification and holiness in the church body. Here at Emmaus Road in particular, we pray for our brothers and sisters in our community, but let's just ask the Lord to make us pure and holy. for that purity, Lord, holiness, without which your word says we won't even be able to see you. We ask for that holiness. We ask for that purity. Not just positionally in Christ Jesus, but tangibly, actually in our hearts, in our lives, as we engage with the people around us, Lord, our families, our friends, our neighbors, Lord, help us to be pure and holy. And lastly, Lord, we ask you would put in us an unction, a desire, a drive to seek and save the lost. Let's pray for that for just a moment.
Jesus, we acknowledge that for as long as you have us here on this earth, you have given us a mission, and we need to engage in the mission of seeking and saving the lost. And it can be daunting. Sometimes we don't know how to approach it. But Lord, would you give us courage, strength, wisdom as we think about those around us who don't know you and who, if they died today, would would spend eternity in hell away from you. Lord, we don't want that for anyone. So Lord, give us the unction. Give us the, the wherewithal to move forward and to say what we need to say in the moment and to be loving and winsome, but to say it with truth and love. We thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So the progression looks like this. Come see, come grow, come learn, come lead. That list of four items is both the calling of God on all believers and also some of the benefits and gifts God gives to all believers. Where are you on that spectrum? Both myself and our elder team want to challenge you to take some time this week to really answer that question. Wherever you are on that spectrum, there's always ways to serve the body of Christ. And we pray for God's grace to be upon us, his provision to come to us in his timing. For the Lord is good and all that he does is perfect. Amen. Emmaus Road Church, you are sent.